Let's reach for our copies of God's Word, would you friends please? And we're going to turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 as we're continuing this series this morning about God's amazing grace. And yes, if you're able to stand, please stand. We're going to read God's Word together. That's page 917. If you'd like to use the Bible that's provided for you. Acts chapter 8. And we're going to begin reading verse 26, and we're going to read about this amazing God of all grace. Acts chapter 8, beginning verse 26, this was the word of the Lord. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About him or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through, and he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And now this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We are in this series of messages reminding ourselves about the amazing grace of God. It is simply amazing, isn't it? And it is all-sufficient grace. It's grace that enables us. And it's also grace that gives us the enablement to embrace God's grace and to embrace others with His grace. And friends, sometimes that is not easily done. It takes the grace of God to embrace His grace, but also to embrace others with his grace. Good intentions never accomplishes that. I was reading some time ago 
about good intentions when it comes to the issue of exercise, okay? <laughs> Sorry to go there. But I was amazed to find out that 60 million people in the United States belong to a gym or a health club. 60 million at an average cost of $70 per month. 60 million at $70 a month, but only 33 out of 100 actually use their membership. <laughs> only 33 out of 100, 67% of the memberships go unused. Now that's, that's an amazing fact. And uh, if you'd like to read more about that fact, there's a book that's been written. It's out in the lobby. The author would be glad to sign a copy for you. But I, I came across that, wrote a little devotional about it when I read that information. But it reminded me of being people of grace. Because it is one thing to acknowledge the grace of God. It is another thing to be stretched by that grace and endure the stretching of God's work of grace in our hearts so that we be people that embrace others in grace. One thing to acknowledge, but we have got to be willing to embrace the process and the purpose. I want us to think today, as we're on the, in a series about God's all-sufficient grace, how we can experience the grace to embrace others with the love of Jesus Christ. Now, we're enabled to do this. The last two weeks, we've talked about the grace to enable us. The Lord Jesus said all authority is given to him. He said his abiding presence would always be with us. And then he said the enablement would be with us by the Holy Spirit who would give us the power. And the scriptures that contain the power of salvation. And also the power that resides within us as his people. The grace is here. The power is here. The issue is will we be people who embrace the journey of grace, which is not only to experience grace ourselves, but to express it to all others in the name of Christ. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, he said, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He's talking about the power inherent within the church. The congregation, the assembly of believers. To experience and to express the grace of God to all people. He's talking about a church which is... One body. A church where the walls have been broken down by the grace of Jesus. A church which is really now a new humanity. Because in this new man, the church, 
There is no longer Jew nor Gentile. There's neither bond nor free. All are one. The walls have come down in Jesus Christ. He says the glory of the Lord is demonstrated when there is a church without walls within and without walls in its witness without. That is the glory of the church. And what I'd like to simply do this morning is very quickly give you five examples of this glory, this grace to embrace. This grace to embrace all with the love of Jesus Christ. Now, the first example I want to give you is this example that we've read about from the example of Philip. You look at your text here at Acts chapter 8. Here we see that something has taken place. Chapter 8 verse 1 tells us a persecution has broken out. And with the persecution, the Christians begin to scatter because of the persecution. Now, this is man's Hatred of the church. This is persecution. It's government persecution. It's an attempt to stamp out the witness of Jesus. It is man-made persecution. But how many of you know that in man-made persecution, there is a God who has all authority, right? And there is a God who's working in his providence so that his purposes are being fulfilled even in persecution. Even in the martyrdom of his dearly beloved servant Stephen, which started this persecution, there was his purpose. We're told by the church father, Tertullian, maybe you've heard this statement. He said, quote, the blood of the martyrs is what? The seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You see, when the enemy tries to stamp out the fire of the church, all he does is scatter the embers, right? And that's what happened here. This church persecuted began to scatter, and it needed to scatter. Why? Because Jesus had a purpose. What was the purpose? You'll be, you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and where else? Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, the church had been enjoying wonderful fellowship in Ju Jerusalem. It was amazing. They are one heart, one soul, one mind, serving the Lord together. The word for that is koinonia. They were experiencing great koinonia. But friends, there's always a danger of any group of Christians letting their koinonia become koinonitis. And that's when it's all about the fellowship, the purpose of the church, the purpose of the group, the purpose of the adult Bible fellowship or the Sunday school class. It's all about our fellowship. And friends, that is koinonitis. Because the great purpose of the church goes beyond us having wonderful fellowship. It's to share the message of Jesus Christ and to bring others into the wonderful fellowship to go outside of the walls and break through walls and bring people into this oneness in the Lord. This is the purpose. And so... The Lord used and allowed persecution to send the Christians where? To Samaria. 
And here is Philip, a faithful deacon. He's like Jesus. Jesus, during his ministry, had to go where? He had to go through where? Samaria. And he showed his disciples as he talked to that woman at the well what it meant to reach across all boundaries and all man-made divisions to share the love of the Lord. And here Philip, he has this heart. He has this enablement by the Holy Spirit. And he agrees with it. And he goes and begins to share cross-culturally. He reaches out across ethnic and racial and religious boundaries that have existed for hundreds of years. And he begins to tell these Samaritans about the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens? Well, the Holy Spirit, with the power of the Scripture and the witness of one of his saints, begins this incredible outbreak of evangelism. Now the gospel is going to Samaria. But then an amazing thing happens. We just read about this. In the midst of this evangelistic campaign, Philip receives the most enigmatic calling of the Lord. He's given a command. And it, it is, it's an enigma. He doesn't understand it. But he obeys. Leave this evangelistic campaign where all these people are coming to know the Lord and I want you to go down into Gaza, go down into the desert. Now notice, it did not make sense. But he obeyed his voice, the voice of his master and he went. And what did he find? He found there God had been preparing some soil in a man's heart. We're not even told the man's name. We're just told he is from Ethiopia. He is the treasurer of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. And he has been to Jerusalem to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he does not yet know about the Messiah who has come. And in his desire to know more, he's purchased a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. This was not an inexpensive thing. But he's purchased it. He's headed back to his home in Ethiopia. He's reading it out loud. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's been preparing the soil, right? And then comes Philip. He is prompted by the Spirit. Verse 26 says, The angel Lord said to Philip, Rise, Go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Go down into the desert. He obeys. What am I supposed to be doing here? Well, he gets another prompting. Verse 29, the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Now, we're not told how the Lord exactly did this. But friends, listen up. The Holy Spirit who lives within you is able to prompt you to know his voice and to do his will. And so he's prompted. He's, he's prompted in his spirit to walk up to this man in the chariot. And he hears the man reading from the gospel of Isaiah. And there is a perfect opportunity. Do you understand what you're reading? Well, how can I understand unless somebody guides me? Who, who is he talking about here? Who is the prophet Isaiah talking about himself or someone else? 
And the Bible says there, God opened the door for Philip to go up and begin sharing with him, verse 35, the good news about Jesus. He took the scripture and that scripture, he took him to the fulfillment of the scripture in the Lord Jesus. And then God, in that chariot, in that Turing sedan, as it would be today, in that diplomatic vehicle, God brought salvation to this man's heart. And he says, well, here's water. They've come up on one of the oases along that journey. Here, here's water. What, what hinders me from being baptized? <laughs> and that very day, he professed his faith in Jesus Christ. He was baptized. And what was the purpose of all this? What, what's going on here? Well, the purpose of the Savior is for another one to know the joy of his salvation. Look at verse number 39. It says, he went on his way rejoicing. He's rejoicing in salvation. He's out in the midst of the desert, but he has drawn a drink from the well of salvation, and he'll never thirst again. And he's rejoicing there's joy in his heart. Isn't it interesting? This chapter ends with rejoicing. And look in verse 8. It began with rejoicing. Rejoicing where? In the city of Samaria. In a place that was considered outcast. Where people were considered to be less than. Who were rejected of another ethnic group. Of another race. Of hated people. They're rejoicing in the Savior. Now how does it end? A man in his chariot headed back to his homeland. He's rejoicing. He's from far off. But he's been brought near by the gospel of Jesus. Do you see this beautiful picture? For the many and for the individual. Now, he goes his way. And where's he going, friends? Listen to this. Where's he going? He's going home. Where's home for this man? Now, wake up. Because I haven't helped you yet, but you're going to get blessed right now. If you don't get blessed right now, there's nothing I can do for you, okay? Where is he headed? Ethiopia. Where's Ethiopia? Africa. This is the first one out of Africa. This is the true out of Africa. And now he's going into Africa. He is the first convert of a continent. The first one. And you know how many believers there are in Jesus Christ, professing believers there are today on the continent of Africa. Today, over 300 million professing the name of Jesus. And this is the first one. So my friend, listen up. How do you reach a continent? How do you change a continent? One person at a time. Amen. How do you reach the world? The person in front of you. The person in the seat next to you in the car. The person that God has prompted you to speak to. Yes, a person maybe from a different country. A person who doesn't look like you. 
A person who may be rejected, but he's accepted by Jesus. And that's how you reach the world. One at a time. This is grace, folks. This is grace. When we recognize that we can be world changers, but the way the world is changed is one person at a time. The whole world is in every individual. Now, this testimony probably gets out. And people start hearing about it. I wonder if Peter heard about it. Because he's the next example. I want you to look at chapter 10. We'll just turn there. Many of you know the story in chapter 10. How Peter is the apostle who has opened the door on the day of Pentecost. He's opened the door with the gospel to the Jewish people. And now he is the leader along with James and John of the church in Jerusalem. But he has made a trip to Joppa by the seaside. He's staying at the home of one Simon the Tanner. And before the meal, he decides to go up on the rooftop and have a seaside siesta. But he goes up to experience those nice breezes from the seaside and enjoy a seaside siesta. But what he experiences is a nightmare about a bad buffet. I mean, this is awful. He has a vision of a sheet let down from heaven by the four corners. And within it is every kind of unclean animal, bird, and insect creeping thing. And three times he hears the voice from heaven saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And what is Peter's answer? Why, yes, Lord, whatever you say. No. What is his answer? No, Lord. No, Lord. I have never eaten anything unclean. I am a man devoted to the dietary laws. I have never eaten anything that's not kosher. And the voice answers, the Lord answers with a rebuke. What the Lord has made clean don't you call unclean. This happens three times. Three times he has the vision. Three times he hears the command to eat. Three times he says no. Three times he's rebuked. And after the third time, there's a knock on the door. And guess what? There are three men. Well, Peter can figure this out. This is totally from the Lord. This is completely from the Lord. And they find three men who have been sent by Cornelius, who is a centurion in the Roman army in nearby Caesarea. And he's asked them to get Peter and come to his house. Well, Peter, the next day, goes with these men. And friend, this next day is the new day for all time. That's the reason a chapter and a half or more in the book of Acts is given to describe this. Because it is transformational. 
You can't understand the church. You can't understand the grace of God unless you understand what's happening here in this account. It's transformational. It's a new day. Peter arrives at the Gentile's home. It's a Gentile home. He's not even supposed to go in a Gentile home if he's an observant Jew. And not only is it a Gentile home, it is the home of an officer in the occupying force keeping his nation in bondage. So he goes to a Gentile's house, a house of an officer that is part of the occupying Roman army. And Peter sees a group of people all seated and they're all Gentiles. And Peter connects the dot. And the breakthrough happens in Peter's heart. And here's his testimony. He says this in verse number 34, chapter 10. Are you with me? So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. No partiality. God shows no partiality of any ethnic group, any racial group. No partiality. I understand. It's dawned on me finally. I get it. God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God gave him life, raised him up on the third day, made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now notice, he is doing what? He is sharing the gospel, the dunamis of the scriptures, the inherent power. The Holy Spirit is upon his witness. He is being an obedient saint as he is sharing the good news as God has opened this door. And as he does this, what happens? Verse 44. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, that is the Jewish ones, 
who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. This is the Gentile Pentecost. The Jewish Pentecost had happened in the upper room. This is the Gentile Pentecost. It's the same Holy Spirit with the same evidence. Verse 46, they were hearing them speaking in other languages, extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. What is happening? It is a sign. One spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body, one God and Father who is of all and through all, Jew or Gentile, brand new humanity in Jesus Christ. This is astounding. Walls are crashing down that have existed for centuries. And it's happening, why? Because of grace. It's not being forced. It is the compelling power of the love of God in Jesus Christ. Grace. <laughs> well, word gets back to the church in Jerusalem. Imagine that. And Peter gets called to give a, an answer for what has happened because they've heard he's gone into the Gentiles and shared the gospel of the Gentiles. And Peter, he's so bold. Here's his answer, chapter 11, verse 17. After rehearses everything that happened, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should stand in God's way? <laughs> Peter hides behind God. <laughs> and that's okay. If God did this, who am I to resist what God has done? It may be out of our box, fellas, but clearly it's not outside his box. Verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and it means stunned to silence. Jaw-dropping moment. And then they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. They acknowledged it. But that's not enough breakthrough for the church. Listen. Listen. Not just acknowledging that Gentiles can be saved. That's not enough. Listen up, church. Separate but equal is never the church. Separate but equal is not the church. It's a denial of the church. Any idea that we believe all people are equal, but we just need to stay separate, that denies the very message of the gospel. Amen. The church is never about separate but equal. It's about united and equal. Amen. And the wall's down. 
And guess what? There were some who got it. Look at verse 20. Some of them even started sharing the gospel to the Hellenists. Others just were going to the Jews. Oh, they acknowledged. They acknowledged it's possible for a Gentile to be saved. Theoretically, it's possible if God wants it to happen. Oh, brother. If God says it's to happen, you and I are to be the ones to make it happen. And thank God there were some of them, some of them who started sharing the gospel with Gentiles. And guess what happened? There was this outbreak in the third largest city of the Roman Empire, Antioch, and considered to be really the most wicked city in many ways of the empire. Everyday life in Antioch was open and even not polite to even share today what happened openly in Antioch. But people went there with the gospel and they started sharing and Gentiles became believers. But guess what? They joined together. It's not separate but equal. Oh, yeah, there's a Gentile church down there and a Jewish church here. And we, we're starting Jewish churches, and I, I hope and pray the Gentiles will start their churches. No siree. That's not God's plan. One church, Jews and Gentiles. And something happened that had never happened in the history of the world. People who didn't look alike, didn't have the same diet, didn't say have the same clothing, didn't have the same traditions, didn't have the same background, and believe it or not, didn't even have the same kind of music. Had church together. And that is the church. And that's the reason there, verse 26, what were those people first called? Christians. Why? Because the name of this Christ has broken down the walls and made this new community. We don't even know what to call these people. What do you call these people who don't hate each other anymore? They worship together and the walls are broken down and they care for each other and everyone's welcome and they go out and share with everyone. What do you call people like this? Well, they're those, those Christ ones, Christians. And the name stuck. And we have a responsibility to live up to it. He's the savior of the world. Now, I close and I am closing. This isn't easy to keep up. And even people very committed to evangelism have to constantly say, Lord, help me to have the walls down in my heart. I give the example of our global partners. Global partners that we support to go to the world. 
I was with some of them in Thailand in February. And while we were sitting a meal in Thailand with people from various countries, to my right was a man from India, and across from us was a man from Pakistan. If you know anything about geopolitics, you know the hatred, unbounded hatred between the people of India and the people of Pakistan. And the man on my right said, you know, this is the first time I've ever eaten with someone from Pakistan. And the man across from us, the Pakistani, said, you know what? This is the first time I've ever eaten from any, anybody from India. And I've got a piece of pizza in my mouth. I'm going like, what is going to happen now? <laughs> what in the world? You know what happened? This is what happened. That's what happened. That's what happened. Don't you see here? My parents were wrong. My upbringing was wrong. Grandpa and Grandma were wrong. I love them. I thank God for them. And they blessed me, but they were wrong. I was raised wrong when it comes to this. This is my brother. We have the same father, so we must be the brothers and the same Holy Spirit. That's grace. That's the gospel. That's Jesus right there, friend. And here's what it looks like from one of your fellow church members who wrote me this message just a few days ago. Here's what he wrote. In my quiet time with the Lord this morning, he led me to Acts 9.32 to 10.23, the story of Peter and Cornelius. The four corners of the sheet corresponds to the four points of the compass, north, south, east, and west. The sheet contains all the swarming millions. The contents indicates the population of the earth. We are not to call unclean what God calls clean. For years, Peter considered the Gentiles unclean. We can imagine if he had not listened to our Lord. We fight the spiritual war with word and the love of Christ, not compromising what is right, but sharing with love, strength through love. And then he gave me his prayer, his prayer. Oh, Lord, please forgive me for not allowing your great love to flow through me to others. For refusing to love and win those whom I deem dangerous or dirty or unworthy. Those who have hurt me or whom I considered beneath me. I confess that I am the worst sinner. How could anyone be lower than me? Impossible. May your grace burst through my walls of pride and prejudice. May your love conquer my selfishness and others' sinful rebellion so that in me and in them your name will be extolled and exalted in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now, I'll tell you what that is. That's good old grace. That's gospel salvation. That's not Sunday morning religion. That's the real deal. 
And what a wonderful thing. You see, the Lord wants to break through the walls. Walls within the church and walls of witness outside the church. God shows no partiality. We're all common and connected in our need of his love. And we're all connected in the sufficiency of his grace and the atoning power of the blood of Jesus Christ. What is it that convinces the world that there's something more than religion? It's a church without walls and Christians without walls in their hearts who share without compromise the message of Jesus. Let me pray over us and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, I just want to pray over us and I'm going to pray over us this prayer Change our heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. Change our heart, O oh God. May our hearts be like you. You are the potter. We are the clay. Mold us and make us. This is what we pray. Lord, Change our hearts, O oh God. Make us ever true. Change our hearts, O oh God, that we may be like you. And all who agree with this prayer for us and for yourselves, would you say, Amen.